Rachel, what are you doing? I've just put together episode 39 of the Lessons from Lost podcast. That's outstanding. And who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Sue Ella. And what's Sue's story? Well, she talks about what she learned about the power of belief as her seemingly perfect marriage crumbled around her. That's very unfortunate. Does she believe in porcupines? Oh, I don't know. That wasn't discussed. Let's find out more then. And welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm Rachel Smith and each episode I chat with a different guest and I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences and also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. So today I'm chatting with the lovely Sue Ella. She's a UK wild fit coach helping people release excess weight, gain energy and measurably improve their health by guiding them to a new relationship with food. Now about 10 years ago, Sue lost what she thought at the time was the perfect marriage. But with time and a lot of work, she now sees that loss in a very different light with the lessons that she learned along the way. Welcome to the podcast, Sue. Hi, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's lovely to be here. Oh, well, it's lovely to chat to you. And I'm really looking forward to finding out more about what you what you learned from mm. from this experience, which I guess was devastating at the at the time. Absolutely. So, yeah. So so you thought that you had a perfect marriage. So how was life for you before it turned out to not be a perfect marriage? Mm. I think I had this belief that it was the perfect marriage because other people would tell us it's the perfect marriage you know that's how they saw us we were like a model example of a couple two kids at the time uh my little girl was three or four my little boy was uh four or five and and everybody looked up to us as great parents you know we'd had uh, so we'd had a, a really perfect wedding and I think that perfect wedding gave everything a kind of it set this kind of expectation this kind of oh Sue and Gary are just you know role models in some way and yeah don't get me wrong we're great people it's you know we've got a lot of lovely friends they thought the world of us likewise but what was going on was I believed it was a perfect marriage because all my previous relationships had been volatile and he was now a tolerant man and I'm quite difficult to get along with for many reasons recently found out it's ADHD but it's not just that it's that you know I grew up with uh, seeing a lot of anger you know in, in the house the way my parents were with each other dad would do a lot of shouting and I grew up with that so I was I grew up quite difficult to be in a relationship with but this you know perfect man was very tolerant and very loving and very giving and I, I my mum would say he's got a heart of gold you know he does he should have a medal for putting up with you she'd say we got a couple you know a couple of kids as I said and and a really great social life um, but what I wasn't really paying attention to was the fact that he wasn't actually fulfilling me uh, in in the, in the relationship. He was tolerant of me, 
but actually I wasn't feeling fulfilled. So what I was, you know, and I'm a, I'm a go-getter. Um, I love to do big things involving lots of people and lots of planning and big parties and big events and travel. And, you know, I'm quite excitable. And he, I always used to think that he was like my foundation, my rock, but actually it was holding me back. And I, I hadn't, I think I realized that, but I would listen to what my mum said. And my mum said, he's good for you. Mm-hmm. He balances you. So I always thought, oh, well, okay, he balances me, you know. So whereas he didn't have any energy to do all the things that I wanted, and I felt quite frustrated with our lack of progress. Um, I thought I, I was very appreciative of what I had because it was very grounding. It was certainly very grounded for the children. But um I was very critical of him because we were very different. I'm excitable and quick and want more and more and more. I want things fast. And he was the extreme opposite. And so what in order to in order for things not to build up inside me, I would just be completely honest and I would say, you know, that's really getting on my nerves. It's too slow. Can you just speed up? Can you get this done? You know, and I'd be criticizing quite a lot of the time. And he would just put up with it. He didn't like conflict. Um, And so it became quite a lot of the time was like this one-sided argument that he was putting up with because he wouldn't say boo to a goose. Now, because he was so tolerant of all this, I thought he's perfect. Meanwhile, what I hadn't noticed there's a whole side to him which is sort of you know under the surface which is not only unsatisfied but building up a resentment towards me that was never disclosed that must have been quite hard to have realized that at what point did you realize that well I didn't realize the resentment I mean I knew that there were moments of resentment where he would if I pushed him too far he would lash out and he would just snap and say, don't speak to me like that or something. And I'd go, oh, and I'd be really impressed. I'd go, that's exactly what I need. I need you to speak back to me, you know, because otherwise it just, I, I go off on one. So there were moments of it. And there were also moments where he would say that he was feeling low or he, he to me, it was coming across as a bit depressed. And I just thought, I just thought he was grumpy, you know, because he doesn't have much fun in his life. But um it all came to a head um, on, it was actually St. Patrick's Day, 2012, when I discovered he'd been having an affair. And it, in that moment, everything became clear to me. It was like, oh my goodness, now I realise everything I've been doing wrong, everything we haven't been doing to you know, to solidify the relationship, to nurture the relationship. Um, I kind of felt like I'd warned us that this was going to happen because for a year or two, I'd been saying, oh, if you ever feel like having an affair, let's talk about it first. (laughs) Because I started to feel anxious that that could happen mm. because things between us weren't great. Yeah. I mean, um, did you suspect that there was something going on or was it just the the thought that that might be a possibility at some point in the future? It was mainly the thought that at some point in the future there might be a possibility because mm. we weren't nurturing our relationship. Yeah. I mean, we had two toddlers, you know. Yes, and when you've It's got hard two toddlers, to nurture a relationship it, you know, in that sex scenario. Sex goes out the window. Yes. Date night goes out the window and you just become 
two people who used to date each other who are now basically running a nursery. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we were, you know, I, I, he wouldn't. I would say, oh, we need to do something about our relationship. Let's get a babysitter. So, and I, I'm a, a doer, an action taker. And so I implemented that. Um, we we paid for a babysitter or we'd ask my mum and dad to have the kids. The kids would stay over there. So we would have a date night fairly regularly, certainly once a month. Um, but what would happen on that date night is we'd end up just talking about the kids. And I think looking back, the reason we did that is because there was nothing really between us. There was no, We were great parents. We were a brilliant team. We functioned great in the house, with around the school things, around friends, family, functioned great. And that's why everybody thought we were perfect. But actually, there was nothing much holding us together as two lovers. Yes, when I look yeah. back at what happened, we, we met in our late 20s. We were both... We were both coming out of long-term relationships and both really ready to settle down. And in that being so ready and being friends, it like felt like the natural thing to yeah. do. But it was almost as if, oh, you'll do. <laughs> you know, it sounds harsh, but there was a kind of, oh, well, you're nice. We're friends. We're both in that place where we want to settle yeah. down. This could be really nice. And um, and it felt nice. It just felt nice. But there had never been that passion between mm. us or that common interest or that uh, connection, that kind of chemistry. There'd never been yeah. that. And so because that was missing, we were really good while we were focusing on renovating a house or having children or entertaining. But when there was nothing else... There, there really was nothing else between us. And I remember that usually the, the, the only way we could connect was once the kids were in bed, we'd open a bottle of wine, we'd drink the whole thing between us and watch something on the TV or listen to some music. And that felt like really good quality time. Um, but we couldn't do that without alcohol. Mm, that's quite telling, isn't it? When you, yep. when you look back... Looking back, it is very telling, yeah. And everything that I did, all the activities that I did, choirs and parties and events and, you know, organising holidays, I did them on my own. I worked harder and harder and harder to impress, to imp to make up for the fact that I wasn't feeling validated in my relationship. Yeah. Were you trying to impress him or were you trying to impress sort of others external to the marriage? I don't know. It's really difficult to see what was going on. I wasn't trying to impress him because actually I knew that I was never going to get any. Maybe I was trying harder and harder and harder for him to say he loved me. Maybe that's what it was. We used to say I love you, but it was just that kind of going out the door type. I love you. Yeah. I think maybe that I was looking for that admiration, that affection, that that really giving unconditional love maybe I was looking for that and not clear that that's what I was looking for just trying anything really mm -hmm. I think and I was definitely trying to impress other people because I was quite I had quite an ego back then everything I did was for show I mean don't get me wrong 
always been a giving and fun-loving person, but I see now that I was making bigger and more elaborate birthday cakes for the kids, wanting to impress, show people what I could do, you know, riding motorbikes, um, bigger parties every single time, just wanting to show people how much I was capable of. I think he was making up for a lack of contentment, a lack of validation, a lack of feeling worthy, I suppose. Yes, because I guess those things you might have reasonably expected to have got within the marriage. I think that's right. I didn't know then because I'd never really had a rewarding relationship. Mm. And then that's taken me right up to my mid-30s. So I didn't know where to find what I needed and I didn't know what I needed, but I was clearly lacking something. It's really interesting, isn't it, how these patterns kind of repeat themselves. And hopefully with the, you know, with the with the work and the changes that you've made, that then will stop the pattern then for the next generation for your kids. But (laughs) I cannot tell you how much it's changed. And and I'll come back to that story now. But but the difference now between my very being and the way I am around the children and the way I present myself in the world is completely different. Now that I'm getting my needs met and, you know, after this discovery of this affair, I can tell the story, but it basically led to a journey of incredible self-discovery and personal development and growth. And that, yeah, what you just said then about this patterns repeating through the, you know, through the generation. So I was, my mum and dad are still happily married and they're in their seventies and eighties, very happily married, but dad was always an angry man. And I think he had a lot of stress in work, you know, and mum was very full work, both worked full time, carrying a lot of stress and mum was never all that well. And so there was a lot of, you know, dad would shout a lot, um, but they're very, very loving and they're in a really, really good place. But I did grow up with a lot of stress in the house, a lot of shouting, a lot of dissatisfaction and so I I did learn to treat a partner that way to be critical to be very angry and so I could see I couldn't see it back then because I thought that was normal and healthy hadn't experienced anything different yeah I didn't realize it was it was dysfunctional I just thought it's normal everybody gets angry and it's good to show your feelings right I mean it's expression and I would say an argument is healthy because it's communicating but what I hadn't realized was that the stress involved of mm. all that shouting and all that criticism and all that wanting things to be different and not, not you know, the discontentment um, being around the children. I hadn't realized that actually, of course, they were going to pick up on that and learn that that was the norm as well. So I am so, so blessed that I am now for the last 10, you know, 10 or so years, there's been a much calmer environment. And I feel like now that I've been able to let go of all that from before, I I've now been able to 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 be a real parent to them, you know, to be to show them how I would like them to behave in as when they're in relationships and managing the family home. So it's a real blessing what's happened to me. Yeah, lovely, able to um, to be more of the role model that you that you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So going back to discovering the affair how was that I mean it must have been what well, well I'm saying it must have been was it devastating for you or or was it more of a okay I'm 
it was not surprised (laughs) oh it it almost almost didn't come as a surprise because I'd had my suspicions Mm. uh, but I just dismissed them because he was he was always trying he was on flexi time and he was always trying to make up the hours because when you've got little kids you use up all the time you've got don't you and you never quite make up your flexi so it was like every opportunity he had to work late he would work late but and and so I would encourage that so that he could take a day off sometimes but actually I wasn't seeing it in his hours I wasn't seeing his hours going up and I was like well you work in all these hours but I'm not really seeing when are you going to get to take a day off so I was thinking I wonder yeah I just wondered just for a moment I wondered and I remember two three months before I found out just remember mentioning it to a friend so I must have been switched on to it because of with it within a month of it starting I must have known deep down somewhere because I remember sitting here and mentioning it to a friend and I said you don't suppose he's having an affair do you oh god no god no Gary's not like that Gary would never do that and I immediately put it out of my head because he is not the kind at all he's he's a gentle soul he's an extreme pacifist he's uh he's quiet and he's he's gen he's genuine you know that's one way people would describe he's genuine authentic and I never so I put it behind me but when I found out what it was since uh, an, an, an away day with work, an overnighter, uh, it was a girl in work. And on that evening in work, it had been too much to drink and they ended up spending the night together. And I said to him, I could have forgiven that because I'm not unrealistic. You know, things happen. And if he'd come to me and said, look, that overnighter, I made a terrible mistake. I drank too much um, and this happened and I'm really, really sorry and I've put it behind me and let's learn from it. I would have thought that was a, I would have thought that that was a blessing to our marriage. It would have been painful, of course, but it would have been, I think, what I was looking for because in that moment when I, when I found out and I got all the information out, I just felt, oh my God, our perfect marriage can never be the same again it is tainted everything devastating because of this belief that our marriage was perfect I'd always been faithful even though I think most people thought because of how how excitable I am I think most people probably thought that if anybody was going to have an affair it would be me but no so it was just that belief that our marriage was perfect that felt like the big devastating thing um not that it was irreconcilable not that it was unfixable just that it was damaged and I'm a perfectionist and if I've got a beautifully painted wall and there's one scratch on it it is a massive a a massive thing for me if it's a a scratch that can't be fixed it's huge you know we've all had a a scratch on a car to me that goes deep to being a perfectionist so it was like this massive damaging scratch in something there wasn't just a very, very beautiful, or so I believed, but it could never be repaired. Mm-hmm. And that felt very hard because I want to repair everything. So devastating in that sense of a, a blip, a scratch, a fault that was always going to be there for the rest of my life. Because I didn't think for one second that our marriage was over. Not for a second. I just thought that from now on, our marriage has been damaged. Was there then an attempt to try and fix the marriage? On my part, yes. So I am almost immediately switched into, right, got to fix this. 
got to fix this. So I told him how much I loved him uh, after a few hours of getting over the shock. It was, it was a terrible, terrible mm. shock. Told him how much I loved him, wanted to immediate, immediately kicked into some kind of tribal warrior wanting to save the marriage, realizing in that moment that I hadn't appreciated him for years. I'd been very critical. I'd probably driven him to it. I don't think I took the blame because I'd said, we need to work on our marriage. We need to nurture it. We need to make sure we're having date nights. And oh, and if I, if either of us ever do think, even think about having an affair, let's agree now that we will come together and we will talk to each other to make sure that that doesn't happen. Because I knew how painful that could have been. Yeah. And so the fact that I kind of approached it or broached the subject made me think, no, this isn't my fault, but I definitely contributed to it happening and I can now fix that. So I immediately got on, how are we going to fix this? And I said to him that same night, you know, this could be a real blessing. This could be the rocket up our bums that we really needed. This could be great. And then just being like ultra positive. I've been through things before where in less than 24 hours, I've turned something around completely just by extreme positivity. So my plan was that we would, he was going to put it all behind him. I was going to forgive him and we were going to really use it as a platform for making a, a, something even more magical of our marriage. And I was, I was excited whilst being utterly devastated and heartbroken I remember the next day was Mother's Day and that was the most painful day of my life. Um, we went out for a meal with the kids in town and I, I just could not think straight. It was, it was just excruciatingly painful and I didn't know how I was going to get through it. Mm. I just couldn't stop thinking about this blip in our marriage and visualising them being together. And wanting to know everything. And of course, couldn't talk to him now because now the kids are with us. Yeah. So for the next few weeks, it was me wanting to know more, 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 more. Who is she? What's her name? What color hair has she got? Is she taller than me? Is she bigger than me? You know, what does she do? Where does she live? And he wouldn't tell me anything. So being an IT whiz, because this is this was my career for 25 years, an IT consultant. I did everything I possibly could tech-wise to find out who she was and when they'd seen each other and what the extent of their relationship was. I found browser cash that that told me he bought her lingerie. You know, I'd seen her Facebook profile. I, I managed to find out who she was on Facebook. I knew all about her family. I knew her role, where she lived, not like the address, but... I went crazy, absolutely stir crazy being Sherlock Holmes, finding out everything. I found all their message history deleted on the phone. So that is possible, listeners. <laughs> Watch out. You can delete your message and, and they can still be retrieved. They can still be retrieved. I did it. I found out how to do it and I did it. So I had the agonizing pain of reading their text messages to each other. Did that help? at the time to go through that process? It helped support the craziness and it helped me feel like I had something to get my teeth into. I needed it. I was not going to stop until I got every single piece of information that I possibly could. 
did it help in a different way? Yeah, in a in a way that I hadn't realized it helped because now I was able to see the other side of him that I'd never seen. And that helped me with truth. And I think that that tribal instinct of wanting to find out every single secret, every single clue, I think what that goes back to is the more clues you can find, the more truth you you find, the more you understand what the real situation is. And what it told me, you know, the way he was frivolously messaging her and not giving a shit about the fact that he was married with two little kids and it and it was abusing not only has he had an affair now but he's actually abused our sacred family space so by finding out bits of information like that and hearing the language that he was using with her helped me realize he's a split personality he's one person when he's the loving father and he's a completely different person when he's interested in extramarital sex and I started to realize that I didn't know him. I thought I knew him. I thought we were soulmates because we used to say we were, before we got together romantically, we used to say we were soulmates because we had you know, long chats way into the evening, talking, talking, talking. But um, I, what I thought I saw, what I thought I knew was only um, one side to him. Yeah. And there's this other side that was actually quite quite um quite naughty quite devilish quite you know um pleasure seeking quite quite unpleasant in some ways and actually non-caring and you know and I and I didn't I'd never seen that side to him at all we, and funnily enough I say never when we were first dating and he stayed at my apartment there was one time when I saw a glimpse of it and I poo-pooed it he tripped over the cat and he didn't know I could hear him. And he went, effing cat. And I thought, oh, my God. And I backed off. I thought, I, I don't want him to know I've heard him. But the, what, swearing at my cat, I thought, that's mm. not like him at all. And it actually quite upset me. But I thought, oh, it's just, and I let it go. And it was, it was 12 years later that I saw that side of him again. Sometimes we just don't want to see those red flags. Yeah, that's exactly what it was, a red flag. And looking back, of course, I can see that there were more. But yeah. I saw the man that I wanted to see. I saw the gentle, the kind, the loving, the sentimental, good father, diligent, devoted, devoted. That's what I saw. And all the times where he said, oh, can I can I go out? And I, I say, yeah, of course you can go out. But where are you going? You know, oh, I, I'm going to the gym. I said, of course you can go to the gym. Whereas actually what he really wanted was go out on the piss, you know. So little red, and then he'd, he'd end up going out drinking anyway and come back late and I'd give him what for. So those were little red flags. But I just dealt with those by being critical. You said that you tried to, let's try and fix this mode. At what point did you then realise that it wasn't going to be able to be fixed? It took me two years. So for, for for the next sort of six weeks, two months, three months, I was on a mission. I bought every book. There was a particular book that really uh, stood out for me, how my husband's affair turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me, or words to those yeah. words to that effect. And I thought, this is the book I need. And I and I, I I started reading it, and I thought, I don't even need to read it. I know what this book's about. I get it. And I just moved on, and I got the next book. And I was like, then, then it was how 
how one of you can bring the two of you together or uh, the new science of love. or And it was all about how can I fix this? He's not getting on board. He said he was. He said he'd ended it. And he had agreed to us doing this and that, you know, but he, I wasn't seeing any action. So it was right. He then went into a deep depression. When I told him, I knew exactly who she was, where she lived, all her family. I hadn't done anything about it, but I showed him all the history that I'd managed to find. He went into shock and he went into a depression. So now he was like, almost like numb and his head would hang to one side and he would gaze into space. And so now I was dealing with something new again. Ooh, I was dealing yeah. with this depression, this kind of unresponsive. So now I had a, a reason why he wasn't contributing to fixing the marriage is because he was unresponsive and, and deeply depressed. So we started talking about depression, started talking about going to see the doctor about antidepressants. And so I just put this whole thing down to depression after this. And, and of course, before long, I found out he'd been seeing her again. Now I put it down to depression and wanting a kick to kick him out of this depression. So, so and this happened again and again. I'd, he'd put it behind him and then I'd find out we'd, and I'd, I'd say, what's going on? I thought you wanted to save the marriage. And he would lie and lie and lie. And I would get more and more anxious about, I'd be ringing him constantly. So it went on like this for mm. months this me finding out him lying, me putting it down to the depression. And then after a while, it had happened again. A text message came through. She wanted me to find out because she couldn't get him to do it. She couldn't get him to leave. So a text message came through that I was meant to see. Uh, are you doing it or what? I can't remember what it said. And I saw it. And of course, it all came to a head again. And this time it was different because he didn't know what he wanted. Before, he'd always said, yeah, of course I want to save the marriage. He just wasn't getting on board. But this time it was like, I don't know what I want. So, of course, now my job was to persuade him that yeah. he did want to save the marriage. Of course he wanted to save the marriage. How could he possibly not? You know, how could he possibly want to break up the family? So maybe an incredibly forceful and, you know, persuasive I basically forced them. I forced him to stop with his plans. Um, I talked him to death until he agreed not to go through with it. Me thinking I've won. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and of course, it happened again. So it oh, went that on. That must like have been such a roller coaster. Oh my god! And the anxiety. I never. I'm such a sort of um, strong-headed person. I don't know what the word is. I'm so like. Um, what you see is what you get, straightforward, yeah, headstrong, that I never really understood what people meant when they said anxiety. I used to think that they were maybe weak people or something, or I don't know what I thought, but I didn't really believe in it until it hit me. And then I knew what anxiety was for the first time. And it's this debilitating, everything's completely out of control. And I need to do something. That's what it was for me is I need to do something to stop this. I would go to extreme lengths to prevent it happening. Driving places in the car, trying to catch them, constantly ringing the phone, playing sounds on the phone if he wasn't answering it, um, phoning everybody, phoning people in his office, just doing anything I could do to prevent this happening. And so it went on like this and it was absolutely nuts. Um, and roller coaster, and I couldn't function. 
I couldn't function in work. It wasn't even just for months. It was it was probably for a year and a half. Must have been exhausted. I was utterly exhausted. I was I was either elated because I was on this massive journey of personal development, knowing that I, I was growing so fast and on this amazing mission to fix this marriage, which was going to be fixed and fabulous, so much more fabulous than it ever was before. And now we'd have an amazing story to tell. I was going to write a book. And and so because of, of the future that I was aiming for, I couldn't really get any support because I couldn't tell anybody in the family or any of our close friends. The only people I could talk to were people who almost didn't matter in our future. Gosh, that must have been hard. I was resourceful. It was excruciatingly painful. The visions, you know, what trying to imagine what they'd done to, you know, what they'd been doing. And not just before, but on this ongoing basis. Now. Yeah. Putting myself into that world and imagining and asking him what had ha- what was happening and getting some bits of truth. And it was just extremely painful. But also it spurred me on. But roller coaster. And I couldn't fo- I couldn't function as a mother. That was the biggest yeah. loss for me. The biggest loss was two, probably best part of two years, maybe even as much as two and a half, of not being able to function with the children at all. You know, I could barely feed them. It was like, what's the easiest, quickest thing I can do to get these kids fed? Most of the time I would rely on my friend. It was a lovely midweek mom, you know, to kids blessed, very, very blessed that they had her and they could go to her two, three times a week um, as their childminder and nanny. But when I did have them, it was like, what can I do? Fish fingers, beans on toast, jacket potato. Oh my God, let's get this on the table. And the next thing I'd be back on my phone, digging, mm-hmm. phoning, texting. Um, so I didn't really enjoy, I couldn't enjoy the kids all that time at that beautiful age, you know, and for a couple of years after yeah. that, couldn't enjoy them. that's that- time that you can't ever get back either, is it? Yeah, and that was really devastating, was that loss of that opportunity of spending time with them, you know, just mum and kids. Yeah. I couldn't function. Anxiety. Just couldn't put it beside me at all. It was on my mind every minute of mm-hmm. every day. So almost like an obsession then. It became an obsession. And I now wonder, because I now um, I'm pretty certain I'm going to get a diagnosis of ADHD. I now wonder if that was hyper-focus. Mm-hmm. And that's why I did it so bloody well. It, yeah. and, and the competence around that, this hyper-focus. But I couldn't let it go mm-hmm. because of that. I couldn't get a balance. I couldn't go, let's put this aside now and have a nice time with the kids. So even when I was trying to socialize and trying to have a nice time with friends, it would be all about this affair. Poor friends. They were so tolerant of me, constantly talking about nothing but the affair and how I was going to, how I'd saved the marriage so far. And if I could do, do it till now, I can. And all I've got to do is hold on to this until she finally lets him go. And then everything will be fixed and he'll come to his senses and I'll get this big apology. And then this amazing marriage will blossom. You know, and that's all I could talk about. Mm. I was obsessed. So at what point did you come to that realisation that actually there wasn't any future in it? And, you know, and at what point did things start to turn around? Was that the same point? Being a 
I think an incredibly good problem solver. I didn't let it go until it was until he left. Basically, it was two and a half years before he finally decided. Actually, I think I would like to leave because he's that he would take that long to make decisions. That was typical for him. He finally started, and and I thought to myself, well, I can't do any more because I'd become actually really loving, really balanced in a sense of you know my um I'd become quite non-judgmental and I I just really really developed myself in such a short space of time that I become I was brilliant he was really impressed with me how great how gracious I had become you know and so I thought well actually if he's still wanting to leave and actually now I've become a really good person not that I wasn't always but you know what I mean yeah <laughs> Uh, really developed, you know, yeah. behaviorally developed person and really actually very tolerant in relationship and very giving. Um, if he still wants to leave, well, what hope is there? There's nothing more I can do. I started to realize then that there was nothing more I could do. So I started to let go a little and we just went from he was, yeah, you know, I think I would, I think I would like to leave, but it wasn't about her anymore. That was what changed things is when he stopped, when it wasn't about her anymore, and I think it still might have been. But in what he was saying was not about wanting to be with her. What yeah. he was saying was wanting to leave. Yes. Oh, it's, yeah. so he was like, oh, it's not about her anymore. I just want to leave. Then I started to accept it. Mm. And so we started to slowly make looking at how much it would cost for him to have a place of his own. And of course, I didn't want to let go because double finances. I couldn't come to terms with that. No way. It felt too much to achieve. The, the cost of having two running two places and two lots of utility bills. I thought, how can we possibly do that? I'm not prepared to take that cut in lifestyle. I'd have to go back to work full time. I wasn't prepared to do it. I, it was out of my hands by now. He was starting to make decisions. I'd never seen him make decisions before. At least for, you know, at least in, in some sense, I was impressed. <laughs> I suppose in some ways that would have been then another sort of fairly strong indication that actually if he was starting to make those decisions and take action that actually it was it was over as far as he was concerned yeah and that process took that was august i started to realize that he was starting to make i'd like to leave noises and i'd mm -hmm. like to start looking at flats and and i and we were talking quite sensibly by then you know, it wasn't just me trying to save the marriage constantly by yeah. then. It was like, well, you know, let's talk about costs and, you know, that kind of thing. Because I could see, actually, by then, that if we could afford it, I knew I'd be much happier without him. Because I wasn't getting any love at all. I wasn't getting any affection. It, it was just getting more and more distant. It was just getting worse and worse and worse, even though I started to actually really want him. That was the one thing it did do, is it made me really want him. Yeah. <laughs> the threat. Oh, but yeah, from August, I think September was when he had a trial week away. Uh, we said to the kids that he was on a training course and that he was going away for a week. Well, actually, he stayed in a hotel for a week and didn't come home. And when he came in through the door on the Friday night, I knew that that would be the moment. It was either make or break. And I was listening to him coming up the stairs and my heart was going like this, you know, and I just thought, what is it going to be? And he came up the stairs and he went, okay. I thought, that's it, it's over. Because mm -hmm. I'd been hoping that he would come in and go, 
I've really missed you. Can we make this work? Yeah. And he didn't. <laughs> but he didn't. So, yeah, it was upsetting all over again, devastating all over again. But it started to become real then. So that was the trial week away. The next thing was he booked a six-month rental. And then he started to just spend occasional nights there. And what I would say to what we would say to the kids was, of course, by now he was on the sofa. We weren't sharing a bed. So the kids had seen a bit of a separation between yeah. us. And it was, it was cool. He was just on the sofa. And they were little, so they didn't question it. Um, and then it was, Daddy's gone away for a week. And then it was, oh, Daddy's going to stay with his mate tonight. Oh, cool. Daddy came back and gave him breakfast. And then it was like, oh, Daddy's going to spend a bit more time with his mate. His mate really needs him now. Yeah, cool. No, no issue. Daddy came, took them to school. And then after a couple of weeks of that, uh, he stayed away every night and still came and gave them breakfast and took them to school. So it was like such a, sh a smooth transition of just seeing, of Dad stay, not seeing less of Dad, but Dad staying overnight yeah. somewhere else more and more and more, that it became almost imperceptible really so that felt like a really positive way to do that it, we never had to sit the kids down I didn't feel like it, it was appropriate at that age what would they have been then they would have been six and eight or six and seven something like that I didn't think it was appropriate to sit them down and go now dad mommy and daddy are breaking up you know yeah. the little hearts broke because they don't know what that means anyway so I never did. We never really talked to them about it. We just let them see the way things were. We just let them see what the truth was that was happening. Had you then stopped obsessing about it all and was were able to be a far more present mother? Yeah, I'd had to, which is why I said that I felt that the anxiety was pretty extreme for a year and a half. And then for the following year, I'd had to let it go because it was making me ill. And although he was still lying to me, I'd had to go, he's probably lying. I cannot continue to do this digging and this obsession constantly. I've got to let that go. And so I did become a little bit more sane. He had made a decision to stay and we'd started counseling. So when we were going through counseling, I was quite sane because there was somebody else helping us yeah. now. So it was calmer, it was more sane. It was more mature, so I was able to sort of slowly ease myself into that sensible place. Actually, we're separating, and everything was still very, very difficult, particularly money. But he'd reassured me, like trying to encourage me to let me go by saying, I'll still contribute, whatever it takes, I'll still contribute. So I'd been reassured that I wasn't going to lose out. Of course, mm -hmm. that didn't happen. That was a new realisation, and that was as soon as he'd went in to live with her. And then everything changed. The money changed in a huge way. He'd been contributing very generously until then so that I didn't have to change my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to go back to work full time. Uh, but as soon as he moved in with her, it all changed. You know, the money was cut back to the bare bones and I started to really struggle. But luckily, in the meantime, I thought, well, I'm going to have my fun as well. And I started looking online, on the online dating sites to see if, not because I wanted to meet somebody else, because I didn't, but I just wanted to restore my faith that there were nice men out there. Just and was wanted it to restored? See, 
It absolutely was. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, there were a few who only wanted one thing. Um, it was a it was a nice dating site called Guardian Soulmates. I don't think it still exists, but it was very nice. And I did see this lovely man on there. And I thought, oh, he could be lovely. And we started chatting and emailing. Actually, we emailed each other for a couple of weeks. I really connected with this guy on email. And I never wanted it to go any further than that because I was just loving this lovely time yeah. of exchanging exchanging emails and really connecting. And it was fun. It was fun. I was excited again. I was living again. I was staying up late and writing these lovely emails. But um, it did all change, actually, when it, he said, should we meet for coffee? And I said, no, it's too soon. And my friend said to me, what's the matter with you? Meet him. <laughs> <laughs> I said, it's too soon. Um, my ex has only just literally only just been gone a few weeks. Anyway, my friend said, go for it, went for it, met for a coffee with this lovely man and never looked back. And we're now married and we've been married for four years. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, but Paul came into my life yet yeah, very, very quickly, right when I needed him. Perfect. And so I didn't I, I didn't suffer alone for long. Because I'm not, I'm not so great being single. I've never really done it, which felt for me, I had wanted to be single for six months. Just me and the kids, loads of time with the kids, finding myself again. But yeah. it didn't happen. This lovely man came into my life in 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 just a space of a month. I don't want to say he filled a gap, but he completely filled any gaps that were there and more. And he just brought so much love into the family and so much oh pragmatic support and financial support and affection and fun fun for the first time in a decade I think real genuine fun so um I never really went through a separation in a, in a way I just replaced it with something so much better yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh well it's lovely to hear that you are now happily remarried with someone who is far more suited to you far more your your soulmate oh yeah we're best of friends he's absolutely adorable the kids love him and they still love their dad deeply they spend every other weekend with their dad yeah. four nights a fortnight is perfect and, and and their dad's happy now he's married again he's very very happy they've got a lovely family my kids have got they've got a younger sister who's six from the affair are they now separated but he's now met a very nice woman and they're all happy and they've got lovely kids between them so it's all good it's all good now I couldn't I honestly wouldn't have had it another way I did put myself through a lot of agony unnecessarily I didn't know I thought it was problem solving so from all of it what would you say has been the, the biggest lessons the biggest lesson for me was what was causing me the most pain was the belief that marriage was forever and the belief that once you'd chosen your partner for life, that that was it, that you had to put everything into making that happen. Because now I don't believe that to be true. I believe that, yes, marriage takes work. Of course it does. But I do think that some relationships are not meant to continue. Mm. I absolutely realise that now. And this wasn't a relationship that was... And I thought it was thriving because I was a doer. It, that was it. It was that belief that it had to last forever. And letting go of that was a, was a really liberating. And I guess as well, the that whole sort of concept of letting go of you being able to fix it. That was really tough because I don't think in my life I've ever 
not been able to fix anything. Kind of almost having to surrender to it, isn't it? And just go, I can't do anymore. Yeah. No matter what I do. Yeah. And that was new to me. Up until then, I'd had control over everything in my life. It was the first time that I'd not been able to completely control a situation. So that was a big lesson in that we don't have any control at all. And getting some help with my thinking was the biggest blessing because it started me on a journey of for personal development. Getting some help knowing that it's our thoughts that cause pain. Our thoughts are what are causing us the emotional pain. Nothing but our thoughts. And the thoughts arrive from our beliefs. And so it's the beliefs that causes the pain. And that, it's like, ah, oh, that has been a revelation. It took me two years. Not so much coaching, but listening to, I went to a guy called Dave Weller that does talks in the community. Brilliant. Recommend him highly. This new way of thinking. This new, this way of thinking that we create all our experiences by what we say to ourselves, what we think, how we judge situations, what we believe. That was a complete revelation. And that has made now, that has given me a totally new life, liberated and knowing that my life is always going to be absolutely brilliant because it's what I make of it. No matter what's going mm. on, even through grief and loss, I know that my life is what I make of it. And it's how I judge it. How I judge it is my experience of it. So you create your own, you create your own experience through what you think. Had you been able to dispel that belief that marriage was forever when, you know, when he first admitted that he was having the affair or you, that you found out, I guess that would have saved you potentially two, three years of of heartache, of not being present with your kids. It would have you know, saved that. me a lot of anxiety in possibly two years. I would have still tried to save the marriage then, sounding like he was putting it yes, behind him. Yeah. And that could have been great. That could have been done us the world of good. But when I started realizing that he wasn't, his heart wasn't in it and he wasn't doing what it took, I think maybe if that belief hadn't been there then, I could have let go more quickly and I could have spared myself a lot of anxiety, pain and two years of precious time with the kids. Not that I regret that because I wouldn't have met my lovely new husband if the timing no. hadn't been exactly the way it went. So oh, no regrets at all on reflection in terms of personal development. Letting go sooner would have been healthier. It's really difficult because until you're in that situation of having to have your beliefs so strongly contested, you know, you wouldn't necessarily know that there could be an option to changing your belief to something else. Yeah. And also the belief in who I thought he was. That was the big thing for me because I didn't realize that you couldn't know a person that you spent mm. 10, 12 years with. I didn't realize. I thought, though, of course I know him. We know each other better than anyone in the whole world. I knew a lot about him, yeah. but there was bits that he'd always kept hidden. Now, that was a, an incredible realization that he could have kept one side of himself hidden from me for 12 mm. years. How does that help you now? Is your relationship with Paul on a very sort of different basis? Oh, yeah. Because of that? Absolutely. I think it, what that comes down to is what, what we tend to do because of that belief in somebody is the way we think they are. It makes us take people for granted. 
And yeah. there was no taking each other for granted in this relationship, partly because Paul says exactly the way he sees things, you know, and he won't let me get away with being critical if it's unreasonable. So it's a much more balanced relationship. Yeah, yeah. But I know now that the bond between two people is only there because of the actions that those two people are taking. There is no bond that can't be broken because when some when one of the, one person takes alternative actions that bond's gone you know it's it's not a thing that bond is not a thing what it is is pe two people taking that conscious decision constantly to be together to thrive together to love each other to make the most of the situation and the, the more you do that the stronger the bond is but the less you do that and the more you criticize or the more or the less you care about the relationship or the more the less you put into it you the bond becomes very fragile whereas i just always assumed we were married there was a bond i mean that's such a huge huge lesson to to learn isn't it yeah and hopefully you know as we were sort of saying about your kids that they did you know there were sort of two years when you when you weren't as present as you as you could have been with them but look at the the example that you're setting them now and that actually you know and even if they do have memory and association of that time it can be yes but you don't have to stay stuck in that way yeah because you know we you know we all face challenges in life that will throw us off course and you know maybe send us in a spiral of of depression or anxiety or or whatever but if you just intrinsically know that actually you can this doesn't have to be forever that you can you can change things you can do something to yeah to you steer always... things in a different direction that's that's a huge thing for an older child or, or young adult to see in yeah. action I think it's really important and my dad once said to me oh the worst thing you can give a child is a perfect marriage and I and I thought what are you talking about dad but I get it now. He's yeah. right. He's right. If if you're this model couple, nothing ever goes wrong. What are they learning? Not that you yeah. need to make your marriage bad to give them a lesson, but they will learn from every adversity. They will learn from everything. Uh, you know, even if at the time it feels very difficult. Of course they do. And what my kids now, or anybody that's been through something similar where they've come through this to find more happiness in the end, is that we always have our freedom. We always have choice. Things can always be better than they are. You never you never need to feel like this is it. You know, I think a lot of people, well, this is it, isn't it? This is my life, isn't it? You always have freedom to make your life different. And it can always be, it can always be improved, always be better. And we don't always have control over everything, but we can always take action to make things better. Even if that's a an internal action, so to speak, like seeing things from a different perspective or, or changing a, a belief, starting a new belief. Exactly. What a journey that you have been on <laughs> over these 10 years. <laughs> yeah. I think it's been nearly 10 years. Well, my new hubby and I've been together, We so that's eight and a half years ago when it, it ended and I met him the next month. So eight and a half years since we've been together, nearly four years since we've been married. And to think that 10 years have gone by, it's flown by, absolutely flown by. 
But when it when I talk it through and I realize how much has happened in that time and I've got my own business and everything and quit my job, everything's changed. And I think if it hadn't been for everything I'd been through, I don't think I'd be in such a good position now to yeah. be coaching, to be coaching others. Yeah. And of course, you can use then all that lived experience to help other people as well. Yeah. Although I'm not directly coaching people on this particular issue, the things that I've learned, that the letting go of beliefs, letting go of this belief that we can control everything, letting go of this belief that things are the way they seem, and that everything that I've learned from this goes into now, of course it goes into life lessons, but now I think it, these principles I'm coaching every single day, principles of you're in control of your own destiny. You're the one who, you're the only person in your life who can change something. You're the, it's, you can't change anything anybody else does. But you have, the only thing you have complete control over is your choices and your actions. And because of that, then you, 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 it's a pretty powerful situation to be in when you realize that actually every dynamic, every relationship in your life is at least 50% down to your behaviors and your choices. Yeah. And you can control those. But before, I didn't know I could control those. I didn't know that I could completely control my own behaviors, beliefs, choices, the way I felt about things. And I didn't know that I couldn't control the way the other person behaved, thought, believed. But now that I know that, I'm in a much more empowered position. I don't have any control at all over what anybody else does or thinks. But I have complete control over what I think and choose to do. Now, that's empowering. That is incredibly empowering. So I think on that note, on that very empowering note, thank you so much for coming and sharing you know, your experience. I'm sure that lots of people will be able to relate to many, several, one or two aspects of it, be a relationship with anything, anyone, couldn't it? It's, that, it's those same principles that, that come into play. Absolutely. Yeah. people's relationship with food yeah absolutely which is where your <laughs> which is where your work comes in yeah so if anybody wanted to get in touch to work with you specifically about your about how you help people with their relationship with food what's the best place or how can they find you yeah so um I help people who really need to improve their health or release weight and they're really ready to change um not just people who are you know interested in slimming down a bit because oh wouldn't it be a good idea I want to... it's people who are really keen and ready to make a change yeah. and doing that through food and not dieting doing it through food and uh, a new relationship with food so if that's of interest they can check out my website which is sueella.com they can find me on facebook they can find me on linkedin uh they could just reach out i'm the only sue ella it's i'm not difficult to find as long as you spell my surname correctly e-l-l-a-r 
um, and it's suella.com. So yeah, I'd love to speak to anybody who's struggling with their relationship with food or, you know, thinks that they're generally eating healthily, but can't seem to lose the weight. Those are my typical clients. Excellent. And I'm sure you can offer them lots of nuggets of, uh, of wisdom that will not only improve the relationship that they have with food, but quite possibly with all other relationships as well. When you improve your relationship with food, it's like a journey of self-discovery on its yeah. own and it improves everything in your life. Sometimes you just have to make one change in one area, don't you? And then it just trickles out or maybe snowballs, maybe maybe a bit faster than a trickle. <laughs> Once you find the thing that's keeping you stuck mm. and it's usually a limiting belief and you realise, oh my goodness, I hadn't realised why I was turning to that food. And it isn't supporting me and I don't need it in my life. And actually what I really needed was a nice hot bath or a walk in nature that serves me so much better. Then once that, once you become unstuck on that, then everything else falls into place. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. So if anybody out there is, is inspired by Sue's wisdom and wants to work, please do get in contact with her. Thank you so much, Sue, for sharing your words of wisdom and your experiences there. I'm sure lots of people will be able to relate and take something from it. So thank you. My absolute pleasure talking to you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much, Sue, for sharing your experience. What a great lesson for us for when we're stuck in a situation where nothing we're doing is seemingly working, that we should look inside and explore how our beliefs might actually be what's keeping us stuck. Thank you to my support network who helped me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you, the listener. Thanks so much. I really do appreciate the feedback that I get. I'll be back soon with another lesson from Lost.